assist our futures. And good morning, good night, and good evening, and good luck, and whatever else there is. This is Ross Miller with Dr. Stephen Bourgeois. This is the old school, a uh, a place of intellectual freedom, thought, discussion, questions, answers. Not all the right answers, but uh, we do our best. So, uh, good evening, Dr. Bourgeois. Good evening, Mr. Miller. That was some introduction. It, it, it's evening, if I recall. It is evening. That's why I said good evening, Dr. Bourgeois. Oh, okay. But earlier you were saying morning, afternoon, whatever. Yeah. Well, I said morning and I realized my mistake and then I just vamped. So Okay. That's what you're good at. Well, and I just came off a of vacation, so I'm not I'm not altogether in a business-oriented sort of mindset at the moment. You seem relatively relaxed and cheerful. Downright cheerful, actually. I know. I, I get the feeling you're going to take me out of that mood in the course of the session. Why would you say that? I, I never do that. I'm because pretty... you, you've said on, on the record, it has been notated on the record that you have said that you like me better when I'm a bit more churlish. Churlish. That, I mean, that's our whole shtick. You know, I'm really the straight man and you, you gripe <laughs> and it's funny. I think it's <laughs> Well, maybe so. Um, you doing all right? I, I'm I'm fine. I'm curious where we're taking this um, podcast tonight because you've been gone and I've really not thought about it. So what what's the topic? Uh, the topic could be whether people know how to handle the immediate presence of elk, because my latest trip this past week to Colorado would suggest that people have a very severe issue with it. You know, people who never thought about elk before now all of a sudden are not just interested. They are so interested that they'll stop in the middle of traffic and cause the possibility of accidents because they want to get a selfie with a moose or an elk or something of that ilk. Elk and ilk. Uh, that's just <laughs> wrong. I mean, I grew up in Oregon and we had respect for for the elk, uh, but, but we, we, we stopped so we wouldn't run them over not to take a picture. <laughs> There's, they're just people just, just whipping out cameras, pulling off. And sometimes not even just pulling off, but just stop right in the middle of the street and say, <laughs> you know what? This seems like a good time to photograph. And the poor elk are just sitting there. They're just trying to figure out a way to cross the road without getting slammed by a Ford F-150 or something like that. You know, so. That's terrible, terrible news. And the next thing they're going to be one of those things on the wall of a lodge or something. <laughs> A lodge in Portland where it's 150 degrees, I think, or something along those lines. It's like on fire or something, isn't it? Well, it's been on fire for a while. <laughs> not to comment on political matters, but uh, oh. they've had it's their issues. Well already. Um, take, take a left turn and let, let's move it back to or toward education. I think you toward have something education. in mind. I did have something in mind. And that's the idea of homework. Because homework is something. <laughs> you say that and there's like crickets. <laughs> homework. <laughs> that's ought to be great. Uh, you know, the podcast turns off. <laughs> the adults are saying, nope, I don't want to hear about homework. <laughs> I, I didn't want to hear about it then. I don't want to hear about it now. So, you know. But no, I mean, I, I, I think it is one of those things that set us the most apart from some of our international compadres. And that is the level of homework that is given, that is expected, 
And I'm wondering what your experience is, particularly with your vast experience in Germany, about the notion of homework. It's hard because we we do <clears throat> homework in a different way. I mean, we I hate to use the term busy work, but we give them a certain amount. Many many teachers do, and and so it's more repetitive drilling, which makes some sense. But I think that the Germans would view homework as something where they're writing or they're reading, you know, more contextual rather than just fill in the blank uh, mm. type activity. Um, so it has to mean something. Um, sometime they have to write these essays because their teachers, I know that are always grading them. Right. Um, so I, I assume that's what it is, but, but we, we have a different approach here. That, that's my impression. And what, Based on you, because know, of course, as uh, as people may or may not know, you, you really have cut your teeth research-wise in the areas of motivation, and I'm wondering where homework falls in terms of motivation and as far as efficacy. Be it something like reading, or be it something like practice. Um, in the final result, are both equally problematic, or is one better than the other? I have a pretty simple opinion on homework. I, I, I say unless it's um, reading um, or, or writing an essay, you shouldn't do it. Um, mm. you know, and maybe you disagree with me, but I think six, seven, eight hours, whatever the school day, you know, should be enough. I think that you know, as students go home, they need to have fun, and, and then they need to spend time with their family. Mm -hmm. But they, you know, but I mean, we're talking about all grades together. It's, I think it changes as they get older. Um, and if you're preparing for rigorous classes, say advanced placement, there certainly should be homework. Um, but I don't like to see my, you know, my sixth or seventh or eighth grader doing too much homework. You know, right. so I think it has to do with the grade as, as much as anything. So where does that turn happen? Do you think? Is, is it high school where there should be? a legitimate expectation of homework? Um, I, I wouldn't even go that far. I think it, it, it depends in high school on the subject. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, every teacher maybe gets their self-worth from how much homework they're assigning. Right. Um, but it's not necessary unless the students are, you know, English. You can't really have class without the student reading. And I know they, they take pains not to read. They'll do anything, you know, right. genuflecting and uh, whatever it calls for. But technically speaking, they should read. In your course of history, uh, you say it's a reading subject. Well, they need to do that sometime. And they're certainly not reading in your class. Right. So I, th I think those, those, that's it. Um, you know, something like, like math, I, I can imagine needing uh, extra practice on certain things to internalize it. But but so much of, of homework, you know, maybe if it were better coordinated, but but students tend to be, you know, not happy with it. Parents aren't. And and I'm not sure. I mean, I've looked at um, the effects of homework on achievement. Not to, I'm not talking motivation here, but but it, it's actually not one of the influences uh, that is closely associated with achievement. And there are hundreds and hundreds of influences, and I've looked at a lot of them, uh, but homework is not one of them. So it's not that effective you know, in the bottom line. Are there models that, you know, we've talked about different kind of models, education models that schools have attempted to follow. Are there any models that attempt to do away with the notion of homework? 
I can imagine democratic schools. Um, what what are we? We've looked at a couple of them on on the East Coast that are mm-hmm. really open. Um, when you probably, say democratic, what do you mean? Well, the the school is really free as far as what you know what the student decides to study. But the democratic aspect is that stu- students have a, a voice in in policy and how things are run, and so they have lots of meetings where they learn to go to meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also has has a lot of choice involved in what they do during the day. It's very free, mm-hmm. so I would imagine that for those types of schools like Sudbury Valley and others that we've you know probably talked about, um, that, that they wouldn't require it by any means. Um, not, but I guess the whole model is that they would encourage students. You know, through their methodology, to be interested enough to do homework on their own, you know, uncompelled. So, if say the homework is reading, and that's, by the way, in, in full disclosure, I teach AP U.S. History, and that is the reading and studying is the bulk of what it is that they're expected to do at home. You know, um, the the kind of the nuts and bolts skills that are required of the course are done in class. And so, you know, really all they're doing is reading and trying to, um, trying to, you know, hold on to that information, that knowledge uh, throughout the year. Um, What would you, I mean, how would you frame the, what the student is supposed to be doing with the reading as a, as a component of effective homework? There's an activity, you know, called guided guided reading, where there's a set of study questions, and the student mm-hmm. reads and writes and reads and writes. Um, to me, that's kind of the lowest form. I mean, we want the the student to read and, and annotate, but make those choices of what's important. You've talked about that, mm-hmm. also to to really engage the text themselves rather than being drawn along by by a little worksheet. Um, so that that's part of it. Um, what else were you asking? On that. Well, we're just talking about what is it that the, the students should be doing with their homework if they're reading. You know, the idea of the kind of the guided questions, I think, is it kind of goes along the same lines as the bolded terms right. that you see in the textbook. And what that does, either consciously or not by whatever teacher assigns those things, is that it teaches the student that certain things are important and everything else you can just kind of disregard is an attempt to try to narrow what it is that the student is supposed to know about the material. Okay, that, that makes sense. And and I think, you know, ideally the student would be the one framing questions and they ask you uh, mm. as the teacher in, in class. Um, but it's, uh, you know, what students actually do with that reading time. You know, I'm mean, talking about high school students, you know, in history, honestly, because I've had a couple you know, right. there's a lot of watching videos, mm. you know, that have been set up so that they don't have to read. So that um, I know that some teachers, probably you included, you know, give a lecture, you have discussions, but also they're, you know, you're you're talking about material that you don't cover. Right. Um, so so maybe you could speak to the the use of the text, the textbook, because you do have them in, in history. Mm. I think the textbook in contrast to the online textbook Uh, because the online textbook has another element to it that makes it even more problematic than just the regular textbook Mm -hmm. but the but the but the physical textbook (laughs) is something that is to some degree 
I don't know when, maybe ne- maybe students never read the textbook. Right. And maybe this is like good old day syndrome where I think there was a time where students studiously poured through highlighting, making notes on the side or whatever the case may be. Um, um, and certainly there are kids that do that, but I think the vast majority of them are looking for shortcuts and shortcuts in the forms of funny videos on YouTube or, um, or not funny videos, but or not funny videos. Same time. <laughs> yes. And, you know, whatever the case may be. And so the question even for someone who does give homework in the form of what you would say is the most valid reading, right. you know, that sort of thing. The question is, does it have a function anymore? Well, um, here we go again. We're, we're going to say it has a function if, if you test it. Um, mm. But I, <clears throat> I would bet, you know, and maybe I could study this. Um, where does your um, textbook from your class reside? you know, on the desk at home in the student's bedroom or in the locker. I always assumed on an altar with candles <laughs> <laughs> perpetually lit. Well, in all serious, I don't, I don't think they, they have an altar for it. And, and some probably don't, they tout not cracking a book and still right. passing the AP test with flying colors right. uh, because of the quality of your lecture and, and also the notes that you give. I mean, notes play a part in this. Well, I don't give notes. You know, I mean, there are some people that will give, like, actually print out outline right. notes. I don't do that. Everybody but you. Well, maybe so. <laughs> I don't know, but I think you know. I've even I've even heard of some of my students going to colleagues looking for their notes. You know, so they can have, you know. And so I think um, I think that there's an element where you're trying to you're trying to set a standard, but no one's really playing along with you. You know, no one's following along. Well, I want to take a step back because you mentioned something that I have to follow up on. Um, you know about online textbooks. In fact, the textbook that you um, hand over to your kids for that altar is also available online. Yes. I'm sure you've looked at it. Um, yes. So, so what do you feel about it? Well, here's the thing. And, we've, and we, we've written about this, but there is a phenomenon that has been studied. There has been research, scholarly research, peer-reviewed research done it talks about how students interface with, and I'm even using computer terms, but uh, how they interface with an online textbook. <laughs> and, right. and it tends to happen in much the same way that they digest anything online, be it on a computer or on a phone. And that is basically they're skimming. They're not really reading. It's in, it is a is an exercise of your eyes following along several lines to its natural conclusion and then going to the next page and doing the same thing. And this is a problem with a lot of students with regards to reading or rather the lack of reading. You know, the question is, what kind of reading are you talking about? You know, and some of my students who have had the greatest problem are students who are quote unquote reading, but they're not really intaking anything. They're not, they're not understanding. They're not contextualizing. They're not, formulating it in their mind as to what it actually means. They're not doing any thinking in the process of reading, which seems to me on the surface impossible, you know, but, but that, but that's, that's part of the effect of the online textbook. What has been your experience now yours, different kind of class, different kind of setup, but. Well, I, I mean, I'm not going to go back to teaching German talking about that because there really was, was no homework right. except for, for studying 
sure. vocabulary. Um, but I, I, you know, I do know that the online textbooks are full of hyperlinks, mm-hmm. you know, which take them someplace else. Which, you know, if it if you can navigate that, I, I think it's a wonderful thing. But it does one thing to you that we don't want. It distracts the student, right? And so they're trying to read this, and then they go someplace else, and maybe they they come back. So there's a lot of distraction built in. The other part, and let me talk about that activity that most people most teachers assign, particularly in, in language arts, they actually want to ensure that students read. Hmm. And so they have study questions very specific to make sure that they, they get it. So the whole trick is to put the answer in the box. So they do a control F, you know, find in the text right. and find the answer and put it in. And right. once again, they're distra- they're not reading. That's mm-hmm. something else. It's, it's something. I mm-hmm. mean, we can call it something else, but I, um, you said skimming. I think it's 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 more uh, in some ways more dangerous than skimming because skimming implies concentration that's prolonged. But this is um, schizophrenic in a way that the jumping around and and searching for individual words so you can get an answer that's not reading. It's it's, right. it's far from reading, and it's certainly not learning. I don't know. You know, maybe they're 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 you're learning something. Like, yes, I mean yeah. the, the idea is you're always learning something. The question is what what are you learning and is it, is it of value? Well, they're they're exercising the control, their their pinky and their index finger, and then right. the, you know, but also the here's the temptation, and and you know, I'm I guess skeptical of of the of that activity of study questions because a student probably is not typing either. Mm-hmm. You know what are they doing? They're copying and pasting, and what they call reworking, yes. which means plagiarizing. <laughs> so that so it's it's open season. You know, the, so the students are searching for the actual answer using a control F. They find right. it, they copy it, they paste it in the box. And what does the teacher do? They say, "Well, they did their homework. Check." Right. So wait, so, wait, nudge, nudge, sort of thing. Yeah. So 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 I guess what I'm getting at is that. Most it's really difficult to tie down a student, even your class, mm-hmm. um, to do what we want. And right. so it's this weird fight. Um, and the administrators want it. A lot of parents want homework, actually. So we're giving it to them, but they don't want too much homework. No. And so, and 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 I think that's why the association between how much homework you do and your grades. You know, it, it, it's it's not a significant correlation. You know, it's right. really weak. Mm-hmm. Um, which means what? So, what, what? How do you handle that kind of? I mean, people are doing it out of habit. Is that is that what you think is happening? As far as what teachers are doing, or what yeah. students are doing? Well, yeah, teachers. I mean, the, the students are Machiavellian. They're doing whatever they can to get a, a grade, and we've talked about that before. Right. Um, but but what about teachers knowing, because they know this, I mean, and they're not going to listen to our podcast and say, oh, I never knew that. <laughs> they, they know what's going on, but they're still assigning homework and they're still grading it the same way. I think it is, I think one of the things that powers it is the idea that we as teachers have a shrinking amount of time with the students. And so there's the feeling that even if they get a little bit out of it, it is more than what they would have gotten without it. And so therefore do problems, do odd problems one through 21, and then, you know, call it a day. And I think that on some level they know, 
I, I imagine on a very fundamental level, they know that this is not beneficial both to them as the teacher or the students as students. But I feel like that they think they have no other choice. There is, there's a, there's a bunch of things that encroach on classroom time. There's a staggering amount of stuff that encroaches on classroom time. And so it becomes the only thing that people feel like they can do. And if they attach a grade to it, that ensures that the kid will put at least a minimal effort into it. And that will guarantee at least something might sink into the ether, um, you know, going forward. Well, we had an interesting experiment, you know, with COVID because, you know, particularly the first year of COVID, you know, year one, um, that spring semester, right. Schools weren't interested in assigning meaningful grades. They they were interested in the social emotional learning of students and that they were not destroyed with their GPA. And so they pretty much didn't take grades. I mean, it was kind of pretend. Um, And during that time, you know, there, there were these, optional learning act opportunities right at home um (laughs) it's a different word i guess for that but i wonder um about students if it were not graded but still it's part of the course i wonder if they would do more or less homework i i I would you know suggest that, that the grade is keeping them motivated and in a way they they look at it as, as padding their grades so there's another idea about homework right it's it's um relatively easy it's not high level thinking if you can say that word high level thinking and so they're just collecting that homework mm-hmm. um to offset their low test scores so it's like those are, maps it's like those maps you drew when you're in elementary school that's right um, yeah so they like it i mean in some ways they're they're just you know saying okay this counts as a test grade or this counts yeah. as a homework grade, but they're just, I mean, they're, we have a bunch of lawyers in our presence, you know, who right. are looking at the fine print, but, but uh, it, it's not a friend of reading. And I, I think we've come to that conclusion. You know, it's a sad one, you know, but, but can you get students to read? I mean, English teachers have this vision of let's discuss a novel. So first you read it, right. And we come together and, you know, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's a sad thing, but, but there's always hope, you know, that someone's going to read it. <laughs> there's always hope. Yes. Uh, but I think, you know, I, I remember in the spring, uh, after we came back sort of, uh, after spring break last spring, uh, when everything had shut down and immediately there were problems that people, you know, that, you know, that people detected and it was explained and it was justified based on the socio-emotional concerns that a lot of schools and school districts had. And what I'm about to say does not discount the validity of those concerns because there certainly are concerns out there. And what we have seen in other places where, you know, in Texas, students came back uh, in August. Uh, and so they were, they were back in school, but in other places, students uh, were, were not in class, were not in school for some places, not even the entire rest of this year, not the right. whole, whole entirety of the year. And so it's not that those are not invalid concerns, but one of the things that was detected immediately was that there were a lot of students that saw, you you're talking about those lawyers, that saw the fine print and said, you know what? I don't have to do diddly and I'm going to be just fine GPA wise. And that's what they did. Now, some kids were conscientious and some kids did their level best. And, and, and I have to recognize that, 
But I think more than anything, it showed a lot of kids were just just checked out. And for example, in our school district, you know, if the kid made any reaching out to you at all, it was considered a contact that had to be counted as some sort of grade. And I remember a colleague came up to me. He said, well, I guess we're seeing the effect of your no grade idea. I said, well, no, this is not, this is, (laughs) this is apples and oranges. I mean, you're, uh, this is, this is not the same thing at all because, uh, you know, our notion of no grades is not some sort of student nirvana where everyone is just lollygagging around, you know, here, there, and everywhere. There are still assessments that take place in our notion of what a school could look like even without grades. There's still rigor there. There's still demands there. But, you know, there's some people that kind of jump to a conclusion that this is what happens when nothing means anything, i.e. no homework, no grades, no what have you. Uh, It turns into chaos. And then, of course, it got even weirder when we came back in August and kids were still kind of mentally thinking that the situation was still as it was in the late spring of last year where nothing really mattered. And, you know, and so some students had some hard lessons that they learned that first quarter uh, when we came back this year, when they had to realize that, yes, you actually have to do work. So. It, it seemed, I mean, that's a depressing story. You know? <laughs> yes, it is. And, and it does validate our, I, I think on the contrary, it validates our idea of, because, you know, we advocate for actual feedback to students right. and a, a more authentic assessment where you, uh, have them write, you know, long essays and you read yeah. them or you have conversations with them, a panel, whatever it is. Um, but that, I guess what you just said, I and mean, you said a lot there, the, the part that bothered me the most was the teacher's response. Right. Saying if we pull away the grade, we have nothing to right. offer. And, 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 and that's maybe our, our biggest issue that we keep coming back to is there's, mm. you know, the assessment without the assessment, I mean, why do it? Mm-hmm. And and I, I find that completely depressing, and and I'm not sure that there are ears out there to 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 appreciate just how depressed we are about that. <laughs> well, it, well, then it goes to the question: Can anyone be saved? I mean, can reading be saved? Is there a way of doing this where it does have the value? that teachers fervently hope that it does? Or is it, are we just spinning in circles? We kind of are. I mean, you're, you're looking at me on a video screen right now and you see right. hundreds of books behind me. These are actual books, you know, serious yeah. books that I've read, you know, and many of them multiple times and many of them dozens of times. Um, that you open it is up. Is that Dr. Seuss behind you? No, no, no. The places you will go? Most of them are, are German philosophy, and you know that. <laughs> um, but but something about moving to the online and the idea of, of skimming and all, all, all these things uh, fight against it. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of the genie's out of the bottle. I'm not sure what we can do, uh, honestly. You know, it, I mean, the, it's a revolution, you know, similar as Neil Postman, if we were alive, would have said to, you know, to the printing press. And right. so, so everything is changing. And the reader, somebody who opens a book and reads it from beginning to end, those are going to become scarce. Well, I used to I, I joke, uh, uh, but it does have some validity to it that the, you know, the rebels in high school used to, used, used to be the ones who did drugs. Now they're the ones that read. 
you know, they're the ones who don't always have their phone in hand, but rather have a book in their hand. And the notion of the rebel reader does give me some hope that the rebellion could catch on. But, you know, we stamped out drugs. We seem to be doing our level best to stamp out reading, you know. So I, the question is, is that, you know, is, is there is there a future for this kind of thing? And I, I can't help but be hopeful about it um, just because it seems depressing to think about it in the other in the other way. But uh, uh, but maybe there is hope. Maybe there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I like the concept of the rebel rebel reader. Yes. Um, tell them that they can't read. Yes. They're not allowed to. Maybe they'll say, oh, wait a minute. You can't tell me that. Um, but it wasn't that many. you think you are? You're my father. That's right. We hear that all the time. <laughs> but it wasn't that many years ago, you know, when I was teaching, you know, early in my career, uh, and I had something called a philosophy club. And we've talked about this a little bit, mm. where, where 10 or 12 students um, would be given a text. And I picked them out, you know, personally, and they were, you know, texts that were challenging, philosophical, provocative, mm -hmm. and they would read them and come and we would sit in a, we'd have a special room, reserve a room in a coffee shop mm -hmm. and, and discuss. And, 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 and that was the philosophy club. There was really no, no plan to it. Wait, so you had a coffee shop in your school? No, no, no. It was out, it was out in the world. That's when you okay. could actually meet students out in the world and, and you wouldn't be <laughs> on the evening news. <laughs> um, it was all above board, but, but there, there was interest in the, and these, it was surprising. You would think it was that type of rebel reader kid, you know, or the Gothic mm -hmm. kid or whatever. Yeah. But, but it, they came from all, all ilks, I guess. All, yes. You know, you had some athletes and everything in between, but there was an interest. You know, they weren't, right. and they didn't want to just be seen drinking coffee and taking, right. and that was before there were selfies. They actually wanted to read something challenging and talk about it. Right. So that gives me hope. I don't think students have changed that much. Right. Well, I, I doubt we have settled the question about homework. Um, well, we, we're talking like high school teachers, first of all, <laughs> you know, and we talked about this last week. We talked, we spent a whole hour talking about elementary uh, teachers and and our whole argument here is really high high school specific. We right. touched yes. a little bit about on, on little kids and homework, but but I think we are over overdue. We might want to ask this question um, to those um, proverbial elementary teachers <laughs> that we, that you plan to invite. But you know, will they agree? That's the question I want to know. I think they will. I think I, I think they're up for the challenge. Okay. Well, you I mean, have... I guess we'll see when they say yes or no, but uh, but hopefully they'll say yes. Well, we've teased this for two weeks now, so we might want to go ahead and invite them. And, and and our first question will be: Tell us about homework. Yes. And and we'll see see if they look aghast or they have a they probably have a better answer than we did. I would be sure right. about that. Well, I mean, when you say it the way you do, do you know, tell us about homework. There. I think one of the central themes that we come back to is this notion of this kind of forced labor outside the confines of the scholastic environs of the school building. <laughs> well you, know, <laughs> so, you know, maybe that in and of itself answers our question, but, uh, uh, but maybe there will, some, there will be some that will be saved after all. Maybe the rebel reader will rise up 
it's, create a revolution. So. It's, a, it's, a, it's a great image. And, and yes. here, here's hoping. Here's hoping. Uh, well, I, I enjoyed right. this, Herr Miller. And, and you, you brought up a really interesting topic that we might have to touch on again. The elk? Not the elk. The elk oh. is a little bit weird. I, I really lost a little bit of hope for the direction of this when you start. You said elk and ilk in one sentence. And, <laughs> and uh, that, that was pretty silly if I think back on that. Well, the note taken. So I will try to do better next time. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> well, Herr Dr. Bourgeois, I uh, hope you have a great evening and we'll see you next week. Next week it is. Thank you, Herr Miller. Auf Wiedersehen. Auf uh, yeah, auf Wiederhören, we should say. Auf Wiederhören, yeah. My, my apologies. <laughs> Bye-bye.